Hello and welcome to this week and the first ever episode of Retro Foundation. My name is Mackenzie Collins and this is my co-host. Matt Vallette. Hi Matt. Hello Mackenzie. How are you? Uh, I'm doing alright man. How are you? I'm good. I'm really glad that we're sitting down and recording this. Um, yeah. As with most podcasts, I think we had a rough start. Um, my mic is clamped to a table. Uh, it was a little weird, but here we are. <laughs> I really thought we had it together. So what's this thing that we're doing? All right. So uh, what we're going to do is somehow we've met each other and neither of us had a past in media, meaning that somehow all popular things of the past have escaped us. Yeah, nothing. I haven't seen anything. No, this is I watched my first movie for this. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it was really incredible. It Here's was a, great a small spoiler alert. Movies get like really cool a couple years from this. Oh, really? Yeah. So this one isn't cool. No, this is definitely cool, but they got computers later on, which was both a blessing and a curse, but we'll probably get to that in another episode of Retro Foundation. Uh, A little bit about us first. So as Matt said, we are somehow pretty clueless to anything that happened. I'm going to go before I was like 21. That's a lie, but (laughs) I mean, I think that's fair for me too. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was homeschooled when I was little so i didn't get a lot of like the influence from elementary school and like friends of what's cool what's to watch and i don't think my parents were really like movie people either mm-hmm. so uh, there was a lot of stuff that i was never exposed to um and this comes up i don't know about you but often in my personal life i almost feel like i'm judged because i haven't seen x or y and yes. not i don't mean pokemon x or y but nah. i haven't seen that either <laughs> So everyone always just assumes that I know these things. I don't know if you feel that way. Yes. And it happens with references too, where someone will be like, we're going to need a bigger boat. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Do you feel like sometimes you get it though? Cause you've seen it parodied. That's what happened with this one is, uh, I was watching it and my wife kept saying like, how do you know who that is? And I'm like, well, it's star Wars. <laughs> yeah. There's a, like a shared social conscious or like social conversation or yeah. whatever you want to call it about, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about and it, you end up feeling like you've seen it, but probably haven't. Yeah. Like, I think I've, if you asked me if I'd seen a certain movie, I might just say yes. Cause you can pick up on what most people have already like said about it. And yeah. you have like a, a knowledge base for media as a whole. Yeah. Like yeah, I totally. get Terminators, like Schwarzenegger robot. Got it. Yeah. Good. What more along. do you need? Robo-cop. What more do you need? <laughs> I mean, Robocop's like there in the title. I know. Just, <laughs> I don't have to watch it. Robot cop. Perfect. <laughs> Move along. Cop. Next, next cartoon that I'll watch. <laughs> don't have to watch that. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty amazing. Uh, so what, what I want to do is I wanted to look back uh, at popular media, not through the rose colored glasses of nostalgia and, see like what I actually thought about it and what kind of influence it had. And uh, yeah, just in general, look at it and see like, is this any good? Like I know everyone loves X, but that's because you grew up with X. By the way, we're adding uh, X and insert name of movie here because we don't want to spoil future episodes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's exactly right. Uh, So yeah, it it sounds like a lot of fun. I think so too. So that's a little bit about us. Yeah. Um, We wanted to start off each episode by proving that we are currently culturally relevant um, by talking about something that we've currently consumed or watched or played uh, and what we think of that. So a little bit before we get into the main topic here, which we're doing a pretty good job of not saying what it is. I don't know if that was planned. No, not at all. It's not supposed to be a surprise. It'll probably be in the episode title. Huh. (laughs) So currently, Matt, what have you been watching? All right. So I just got done watching The Jinx. Which isn't, it's still, it's not super current. It came out like two years ago, but it's so good. We really only heard about it like six months ago or something. Uh, No, man. I think it came out in like 2014. Proving still that (laughs) we don't know what the hell is going on. No clue. Uh, And then we've both been playing the same thing because you and I just finished Firewatch for the PS4 or PC. Yes, I played it on the PS4. I played on PS4 as well. So we'll talk about Firewatch in a second, but tell me about the Jinx. All right. So the Jinx is about uh, this guy who, uh, man, I don't want to give it away if people haven't seen it. It's this guy, Robert Durst. He has a ton of money. He's just like old money, man. He's everything. Fred Durst is like cousin, right? Yeah, yeah. It's Fred yeah, Durst. Limbus- All Limbus- his Limbus- money Limbus- is from Limp Bizkit. It's pretty... He invested wisely. <laughs> he owns 70% Limp Bizkit somehow. <laughs> Fred Durst is like, this train is crashing. Buy my shares of Limp Bizkit. 
so it's this rich guy, and he's just like a crazy person. And like you see him, and they say he looks like a librarian. I think he looks like the craziest person that's ever existed. Um, are you gonna look him up? Yeah, I'm looking him up. Yeah, he's a crazy looking dude. And all right, so this is a little bit of a spoiler. So if you really don't want to know anything, this is like halfway through. So this is like probably in episode three, you find this out. He goes to court for shooting this dude and chopping him up into like, oh, my God, this is so inappropriate to talk about. Chop his head off, chops his arms off and his legs off. Right. And they find all this stuff and they tie it back to him. (laughs) And so in most shows, like making a murder or things like that, they're like, did he do it? Didn't he do it? This dude's in court. And he's like, yeah, I did it. He's like, yeah, I shot him. And yeah, I chopped his limbs off. But (laughs) wait, then what's the compelling reason to watch this? If he's just like, yeah, I totally did that. Because he never goes to jail for it. Oh, Uh, so yeah, it's this crazy thing. But there's like two previous murders that people are like, did he do it? Didn't he do it? And so you kind of like go on this journey through this. And it's just it's it's absolutely terrifyingly compelling. So I'm looking at the Google image search for Robert Durst. And what I see is the same generic middle aged oldish Mm -hmm. white guy that's definitely a serial killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. Yeah, oh yeah. my god. That's the craziest thing. Uh super good. Highly recommended. Um crazy ride. We wa- we watch it. It's six episodes we watch it in one day. Wow. I should probably check it out. This is the second time it's come up via like friends that I should watch it. What about you? Well, as you mentioned, we've both been playing a game. Yeah. Uh this game I saw at PAX this year at a little party before it was super like out there. Mm-hmm. And it's called Firewatch. It is developed by a studio called Campo Santo, and it's their first title. What I found really interesting was the publisher of it is Panic Inc. And for any Mac users, they make a really popular FTP app and also publish this game, which I think is kind of cool. Which was it's their first foray into gaming as well, I believe. I think so. And that's cool. I mean, there's probably some dude at that company that was like super into (laughs) it. So great. Uh, Firewatch is. In the vein of a lot of popular indie games of the last 18 months or so, which is way more focused on a story than it is about technically playing a video game. Walking simulator. Walking simulator. Yeah, such Um, a terrible, terrible thing to call a game, but it is kind of what it is. I don't know about you, but as I've grown older as a gamer, I feel like I don't I don't necessarily want to spend a bunch of hours and like get really good at like hairpin reflexes and like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I want to be taken on a journey cause it's going to give me a little bit more than a movie would. Uh, and this game really does that. It starts off and it spoke to me directly because it's like, you are 28. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes I am. You, you are it. Henry. I'm like, no, I'm not, but I'll go along with it. <laughs> Close enough. You were at a bar. I know that <laughs> you are drunk. Uh huh. <laughs> right you, on point. Right. You see a pretty girl and you're scared to talk to her. Nailed it. <laughs> right there with you. Um, what I thought about the game, it starts off really quiet. It's all text telling you those specific things about the game, interlacing it with the present time in the game, which is the late 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, and just showing you what the things that they're telling you about in your early life is how it's connecting to this current thing, which are you are a volunteer firefighter, or sorry, not firefighter, you're a volunteer fire watchman, uh, stuck out in the middle of the woods of Wyoming, and the only person you have to talk to is the person on the other end of your walkie-talkie. And I think it was very well written. Yeah. Uh, it really compelled me to play it. The art style is the reason to play the it's game. It's beautiful. Though. It's really beautiful. It's a cel-shaded a lot of like well thought out color palettes mm-hmm. and it's that part is really good. Um, I, I really liked the game. I played it in one night, but I know you had a little bit different opinion of yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it's hard. I, I love, eh, I like the game a lot. I, I 100% straight up cried in the first 15 minutes before you even like know who you are for the listeners. Uh, he actually stopped playing that night. Oh no, don't tell people this. (laughs) And (laughs) I had to, I tried to get him because I wanted to experience this game together because we'd both been talking about it for the last couple weeks. And, um, I was very sad because Matt just couldn't handle it. Yeah. So I guess it actually made me cry twice because I played it. I played the first five minutes and almost broke down fully in tears, 
turned it off and I was like, I can't do this right now. I'll come back when I'm a stronger man. Came back like three days later, still broke down. Like Aww. within the first 15 minutes, a lot harder that time. It was, it was rough. But then I feel like some of the connections you make at the beginning didn't quite live up to, or didn't really have an impact on what you did at the end. Uh, and like what most reviewers say, the last 20% of the game kind of falls flat a little bit. Like the resolution yeah. isn't as strong as the, the preamble. Yeah. I don't know what happened. Like, it's probably one person that wrote the whole thing. I would assume yeah. I haven't done a lot of research or anything, but it almost feels like it was handed off to another group or yeah, maybe someone had a strong opinion that needed to be listened to at the end of that development or like what, but it definitely does fall flat there. And I'm not going to spoil anything in here because I think it's a game worth experiencing, totally. but the resolution is way more real than most games. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah. It catches you off guard a little bit, although it really shouldn't, it only catches you off guard because nobody else does it. Right. Like if you were to, if you take it as like a soul experience, uh, and not relate it to any of the other like pieces of the puzzle in current media, it makes perfect sense and it's really well executed, but we're so ingrained to like need this big punch. Yeah. This huge payoff at the end. Uh, and it's not even that it wasn't there. It just wasn't, it just wasn't, out of the realm of possibility of reality. Yeah, it was very no real reality. Yeah, it was like now now Henry goes and lives his life yeah. with these things having happened and it's going to change the person he is, but but you never see it. Yeah, but you yeah. don't see it. It's very interesting. I when I talk like, about it, I like it more than when I experience it. Which is funny cuz I I watched one of my friends play it play it this weekend and my opinion started to shift away from liking it just mm. because you realize a little bit of the flaws the second time when you're not as engrossed. How nothing matters. Yeah. Everything matters, but nothing matters. <laughs> uh, if, if anyone is interested in the topic that we're talking about, check out uh, a couple of the other games in this vein. I know you really like Life is Strange. Oh, Life is Strange is great. And I really, uh, Gone Home now is like at the top of my list of things I want to play. Yeah, uh, Life is Strange is waiting for me in my PS4. Oh, it's so I just great. haven't started yet. Um, another one that I we had talked about a bunch was Beyond Two Souls. Yeah, I know I need to. I really, really do. I yeah. love the developer. Uh, yeah, I'll dive into it at some point. Yeah, I mean, if anyone likes that kind of idea of like a story-based game versus a game that you actually play. Those are some really good ones. Okay, so that's what we're currently consuming. Let's open the door to the current topic. Let's pull back the curtain. Whoosh. <laughs> it's Star Wars. It's Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Yep. This, even though it's our first episode, is going to fall a little bit outside of the norm, uh, where we will both be experiencing something for the first time. This isn't so much of that. I... I I think I was a late bloomer to Star Wars, but I still saw it in my like early teens. I was a very late bloomer to Star yeah. Wars. I saw it in my late twenties. Twenties. <laughs> uh, so we we were talking about this podcast a lot when Episode Seven came out, and I am all about Star Wars. I saw it five times in the theaters, um, and you, on the other hand, were experiencing Episode Four for the first time. Uh, which I think is actually pretty cool. Yeah, it was interesting. It's one of those things like mouths become a gape when people hear that. Even even half the day when we told one of our coworkers. Yeah, yeah. Like you haven't seen that Star Wars every single time, and it's just something I never got around to. Like if you don't have someone that's passionate about it or even like cares about it, showing to you, showing that to you as a child, then I don't know why, why would I pick you up watch Star Wars. It? Yeah, I can play Smash Brothers when I'm 14. I don't have to watch Star Wars. Right. By the time we were 13, 14. We had Super Nintendos, yeah. and we had a lot of sci-fi. We had some really cool cartoons. So who was going to show us that? Yeah. None of our friends cared. No. And I didn't have any. I was homeschooled. I only watched it out of shame. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, it just it eats away at your core. And you're Fine, like, I'll just see it so that I can be part of society. I must be wrong. <laughs> Everyone else has seen this movie. Uh, so for just a little asterisk here, uh, because we will probably end up talking about other Star Wars, we're going to try to not use the term Star Wars to describe this movie, even though that's it's a, technically its actual title. I'm going to try really hard to say A New Hope or Episode 4. I'm going to slip up a bunch, but... I'll correct that, you. Okay, <laughs> that's what you're good at. Let's time travel a little bit just to set the scene for what we're about to experience. Take us away. So you're a kid in the late 1970s. Mm-hmm. Star Wars came out in 1977 and was 
from what I can gather, at least a pretty quick success. Yeah. A lot of people saw it. I think everyone saw it. It was kind of one of those things because that's the time. There wasn't as much. And when there was a big event like this, people noticed. Um, We're also not seeing a lot of sci-fi around this time. We've probably had, what, uh, almost 10 years probably since the the original release of Star Trek, the original show. And at this time, we've just known TV sci-fi, at least, as... Uh, I think older serials like Buck Rogers and stuff, but also Star Trek and the animated series uh, of Star Trek, which are both, I would say, fairly kid oriented. Okay, that's what I was wondering is how you might not know this, but around this time, what were other movies doing? Were they this high production value and costing this much to make? I don't even know. Did it cost a lot to make? I don't know. So around this time, we're seeing some bigger budget releases and some more like culturally relevant movies. Uh, the year before star Wars came out, the number one movie of the year was Rocky. Okay. Uh, which grossed 117 million. Um, star Wars episode four grossed 460 million. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a, it's a quite a departure. And the two movies that came before that is highest grossing were jaws and blazing saddles. Oh, that's interesting. Which I had no idea was the highest grossing film of its year you wouldn't think so you would never think so like i didn't think mel brooks ever got that kind of popular yeah it seems like something that would catch on after the fact yeah Hmm. but we caught on after the fact so i guess that's it um so there's a little mix there uh blazing saddles was probably a lot smaller production yeah you get something like uh jockey Jockey. (laughs) jaws or rocky those are huge those are huge Yeah. yeah there's a lot different there's star power there there's even some of the beginnings of like more modern special effects mm-hmm. in Jaws. Although mostly practical effects, I believe. Yes. I think that was a big, it was like a big robot mm-hmm. yeah. mechanical thing. Named Bruce. Really? Yeah. After like one of the lawyers on set or something. Oh my God. Yeah. That's awesome. Crazy. Uh, so in sci-fi movies, we're seeing again, not a lot in this, in this time frame. You start off in in 1970. The only thing that I recognize in here in this list of sci-fi movies of the 70s is Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Wow. And that was in 1970. And as you go on, you start to see some groundwork being laid by, uh, well, George Lucas with THX. Uh, You see some Godzilla, but that doesn't really speak to Star Wars that much. And then 1977 kind of gets interesting. Because in May, Star Wars comes out, and in November of that year, Close Encounters of the Third Kind come out. Oh, wow. And George Lucas and Steven Spielberg being kind of like buddies, it's kind of interesting to see two of their most notable films coming out in the year of 1977. So if you're a sci-fi fan around this time, you've probably been fairly magnetized towards Star Trek. Because that yeah, was, a, I mean, you have no other option. You don't have a lot of options, especially something that's going to be on your TV, which mm-hmm. Star Wars or yeah, Star Wars never did to a, anything besides that Christmas special. That's what I was going to say. The holiday special. The holiday special. Don't forget it, man. J.J. Abrams should remake the holiday that's, special. <laughs> like definitely beat for beat. Yeah. Um, so you've seen Star Trek: The Original Series, which had really bad practical special effects. I've never seen it. I've really never either, yeah. but. Um, common knowledge. Yeah. Again, common knowledge, uh, other like sci-fi documentaries that might talk about some of their effects and how cheesy it was, but how much it did mean to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You then get the animated series. That's a Saturday morning cartoon. And that runs through the early part of ni- the 1970s. And then you get star Wars, which I feel like is a huge contrast that a lot of people that necessarily aren't s- sci-fi fans mm-hmm. don't notice. It is interesting that there's still like that uh, that connection of space, though, all through the 70s. And yeah. really ever since then, do like, you think it's always been a fascination. Do you think it's partially because we had landed on the moon in the late 60s and now we're starting to get good at that and we're starting to dream of other places? It could be. But I also heard that interest in the moon 
after we landed on it drastically dropped. Well, there's nothing there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Is that what it was? And we we're only still cared. not back. We only cared just in case. Just in case. <laughs> and we found that there wasn't like a, isn't there like a Nazi moon base or something? Yeah. Like and something now- that was supposed to be up there and it definitely wasn't. <laughs> oh, this sucks. Yeah. What's like, the point? Let's go home. <laughs> I can see my house from here. Maybe that is it. Maybe. The mystery's gone. The mystery is gone, but kind we're of. also... At that point, we still thought we were going to take the galaxy by the time that we are now, and we really haven't explored space as humans no. since then. It's terrible. We have some robots and a really good movie with Matt Damon, but like <laughs> that's it. And I, I don't know if that has something to do with the success of both Star Trek and Star Wars or mm-hmm. of sci-fi as a whole. It's hard to say. Yeah, they're definitely... The way I always sum it up is the that Star Trek tells a story of humanity exploring something that we were not used to, which probably speaks to that because it was the sixties. That probably speaks to that first, you know, moon mission and that kind of stuff. Star Wars tells a, a political story of a galaxy and a small story of a family. Very much so. Which is very interesting. Uh, so I think we should at this point dive into Star Wars. Okay. A little a bit. A new hope. A new hope. <laughs> we have a new hope. Let's do it. All right, so I'm just going to jump off the bat and say that I was shocked. Well, there's a couple things that really shocked me when watching this. Um, one is how uh, – maybe it's just by today's standards, but I guess that's what the point of this is. It's really small. Like it's a very confined movie. There's not a ton of huge set pieces. Yeah. Um, and even like the there's not – I feel like there was not a lot of dialogue really at all. Yeah, so, yeah I get that. And – so does each, your cat. Yeah, my cat is going crazy. Uh, so each individual story for each character seems like if you were to take that character and split its story out, mm-hmm. like supercut that that character, maybe like 20 minutes. Oh, totally. I mean, and that's it. Even the most prominent characters in the film, the story isn't about them. And you can say that the story is about Luke or the story is about the Empire yeah. or whatever. And it's not. It's really it's really hard to say specifically the one character that it's about. So obviously everyone says Luke is the main character of the film, right. but uh, who would you say has the most dialogue between all the characters? Um, this is an actual stat, which makes it. Yeah. Know, it's kind of a feeling suck, thing. But yeah. If I had to guess who had the most lines, I would guess Luke. Mm-hmm. That's just because the, everything you think of happening in that movie, happens to Luke, but there is a lot going on without Luke. And especially in this movie, Luke is one of the least important characters yeah. in the story. So I kept noticing how much 3CPO had to say. Because it's really bad in this one? It could be that. It could just stand out. But I feel like he was everywhere. Like he every was. other scene was something about 3CPO. He is very important. And as you go along, these kind of challenges come up where you realize that the people that they want you to think are the most important aren't. Mm. And a lot of times the droids are the most important. It's very interesting. Yeah. The crazy thing is you say C-3PO and C-3PO does say a lot in this one, but doesn't do a lot. Yeah. In fact, C-3PO never really does. Well, he has a lot of words, but never really says anything. Because he's saying everything for R2-D2. Oh, he's like double dialogue. Yeah. So he's, uh, everyone has to speak for R2 and they're, Definitely the most coupled in this movie. Yeah. They feel like they come as a pair and they also have a weird relationship that they don't have throughout the rest (laughs) of the time frame where like C-3PO really doesn't like R2. It seems like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's references to R2 being kind of uh, all like kind of scatterbrained almost like he's going to go out on his own adventure, totally, which calls back to stuff that wasn't written for another 30 years. Wow. And maybe George Lucas didn't even mean to call back to it, but I think C-3PO presents that way because he's talking as R2, and R2 is is a linchpin in this because he has the hologram of Leia. Yeah. Uh, so really nothing happens without R2. The sheer luck of him being sold to the Skywalkers right. is weird. Yeah, that, that was strange. Okay, so the other, the other thing that was just absolutely mind-blowing to me, knowing the scope of how big Luke Skywalker is, he is like the whiniest... Yeah. Like child that I've ever seen in a film. He really is. It's and when, crazy. When I was watching this at work today and making notes for our podcast, I wrote in the like Luke character analysis that he's super whiny and like doesn't want to do anything. Oh, I wanted to go shoot Womp Rats oh, with my God. friends instead of cleaning the droid or whatever. And 
while that seems really annoying to us as 20 year old men, that is probably the most identifiable feeling, identifiable feeling that you would have as a child watching Star Wars. All right. At least in that opening time frame, it's like, oh, this guy has to do chores too. And <laughs> wait, so who do you think that the actual film was marketed to when it came out in the 70s? I think it was marketed towards children. And I think those children grew up with the film and modified the marketing for it as it went along. Interesting. I wasn't alive then. I wasn't alive for 10 years after this came out. Mm -hmm. In fact, I wasn't alive for the entirety of the original trilogy. But it seems like it's always marketed towards kids and and adults kind of latch on. Yeah. Whereas as Star Trek moved along, like it was definitely a kid's movie or kid's TV show and then grew up with the next generation, which I think is a talking point a little bit later. Um, I think it's kids, though. Did so, you feel like that? You know, it's hard because it's not anymore. It was hard for me to even think about it when I watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is the the rest of the trilogy, something I've always liked about Harry Potter is how like how it grows with its audience. Uh-huh. Uh, so the first book is for, you know, newborns. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then they go and they get super dark. Like they get, they get very dark very quickly. Does this happen with the trilogy? Like if, if New Hope is... Uh, for teens, early mm-hmm. teens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's say like 13. Let's say 13 is the next one for 17. It doesn't grow the same. Like Harry Potter, you, you nailed that one. It speaks to exactly who the characters are at that time. Mm-hmm. And it, they like had this perfect storm where all of their fans were that age that Harry was, and now they're growing. Like, it was perfect. The themes and tones of the original Star Wars trilogy definitely evolve as the two movies, or as the next two movies come out, partially because George Lucas is not involved with these ones as much. Oh, really? Um, The episode five and six are a lot of the same writers that ended up doing episode seven this year. Uh, which is why those feel more similar. Okay. Uh, but the when we get to Empire, we'll talk about it, but it gets dark. And it, like not only from a cinematography standpoint, but from a theme standpoint, it gets a little bit darker. Interesting. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Because yeah, it, it you feels light. It more. Okay. I didn't dislike it. Right. I thought it was really good. It's a more adult movie. I think a lot of people cite Jedi and Empire as their favorites, especially as they get older. Okay. Um, the story is more concrete than like, it's well, much better directed, much better written, but well, then you get into the, the story itself and it becomes, uh, not convoluted, but I spent a lot of time trying to relate the scenario to reality. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to place exactly what, if anything, they were mimicking, if you think about Star Wars, especially the first one, it's a it's a space western. There's a lot of themes in there that are similar to a, a western movie that we would have seen Clint Eastwood be in. Totally fair. Before that, and some part of me thinks that the definitely the '60s were like a lot of westerns. Like my parents loved westerns, um, and then you see stuff like The Godfather or The Exorcist. We talked about Blazing Saddles. But I feel like Star Wars is most connected to not any action or sci-fi movie that we saw before that, but it might be to Butch Cassidy. That's totally fair. I completely see that. And it's not just because they're in a big dirt world. No, it's a wild <laughs> west, but a different, the space frontier is a wild west. Yeah. And the funny thing is this, it's not even about space exploration the way that Star Trek is. Oh, but yeah. Not at all. It's like being a part of space. That's what Star Wars, I think, is really good at. It mm-hmm. transports you into a time long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, When they made a new hope, did they know that they were going to do two more? George Lucas had allegedly planned nine movies or at least six. I know he had planned the prequels back then. There's no way that's true. (laughs) No, I don't believe that for a minute, but he did call episode five, episode five. Like that was the first time that naming came into it. And the, a new hope didn't come around until one of the re-releases a few years later where they would re-release into cinemas to promote episode five. So it is a little interesting and there's 
documentary after documentary on George Lucas and Star Wars, and I bet none of them that say he knew it or didn't really know anything. Yeah. Huh. Because, yeah, I do feel like the story, there's not, there's, like, a lot there that if you read into it and you really, like, look at all the pieces, there's a lot there. But, Mm -hmm. like, the base story, like, you could watch it and not really pick up on a lot of the subtleties that go on. Like, it, it can it can either look, it can look as shallow or as deep almost as you want it to. That's a good point. I mean, especially when they get to where the story I put grows up a little bit more when they get to the cantina and it's not we're out in Tatooine, I'm learning things or whatever. It starts to get like real world. Like now there's people that want Han's money and want to kill him and whatever. Uh, and that definitely, the tone definitely changes there. There is a big shift. Yeah, and it's when you stop, like, as they introduce people that aren't Luke. <laughs> right. Then you get to Han, who's such a major person, like a major character in all of everything, you know, in all media. And his screen time is so small. And it doesn't feel like it because he has a huge impact on most most viewers. Mm-hmm. He's also kind of an asshole. Yeah, but he's, like, <laughs> handsome and sexy and can get away with being okay. an asshole. <laughs> so that's why you have the Han poster on your desk. Maybe. <laughs> Wait, don't, I don't have a Han poster. Isn't it? It's bleep bleep bloop. R two D two. It was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, Behind the mic, I'm wearing a Star Wars hoodie right now. True. So obviously, this was not the normal both of us experience the podcast in a new way. So we talked a little bit about Luke and about Han, and I wrote down a couple other like main characters and my thoughts about them. Uh, so C three PO, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I wrote that he's really just along for the ride in this one. But you saw him as a little bit more important. Well, I just saw him on the screen a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to measure importance when there's, this kind of goes back to like, there's so many different characters all kind of doing so many different things that it's hard to think that any of them are doing anything important at all. It's a good point. And it's really hard to see if we take episode four as a capsule, like we saw it in 1977 and we didn't see anything else for four years. And it would be the weirdest movie. It would be, it is super weird. Yeah. I almost Which, wonder how they kind of how it made it. Yeah, but. it makes sense. Like in the in the big scope, because it has so many layers, it makes sense. But if I look at it again, it's just like there's like Luke has like 15 minutes of screen time. Mm-hmm. So how much of a story? How much of Luke's story can they tell? And then maybe I realize that they're not telling Luke's story; they're telling yeah. this bigger Empire story. Yeah, um, I've got that down a little bit later because I think the most important thing about Star Wars is how you feel after watching it. It's not about the story or the character you identify with or anything. It's it's how you're left at the end of it. That's fair. So R2-D2, what do you think about R2? Yeah, I mean, it's it's another thing where, like, you have this iconic character who doesn't say anything, obviously, and uh, you just know there's a little dude in there <laughs> <laughs> controlling him. Uh, it's hard with, with such, like, looking back at it with so much more data than, you, than someone would have watching it for the first time. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit difficult to disconnect. Um... I don't know if I had enough information to really feel one way or another about him. Yeah. However, at the end where he's in the back of the ship, you mm-hmm. like you have that connection with Luke, and then you know that you're supposed to love Luke, even though the movie doesn't do a great job at telling you that. Right. It makes you love R2 a little bit. I like that. And R2 doesn't show himself to being as important as he ends up being in this movie. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to see how you come out with it if you don't know what ends up happening with right. R2. And even if you've seen every Star Wars, everything, some people still don't understand how important R2 is. Break it down for me. Well, I mean, that's probably something for another episode, but R2, <laughs> R2 is literally the one where they were like, uh, who's going to do this? R2 is going to do that thing. Like, who mm-hmm. has the hologram of Leia? R2's got it. Who's going to be able to turn off the trash compactor? R2's got it. Uh, like literally the movie's done if R2 isn't there. That's interesting. Yeah. And it, it, they build on it more in the, in the prequels, they build on it and make it seem more important, but, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, he's an interesting character. You know, it's fun to love him. It's easy to love him. Yeah. He's really cute. Yeah. Just, that's right. You just, you put the right, you put the right tone of beeps in there and I'll love anything. Yeah. That's a good point. He's kind of like a cute, like robot cat. Hold on. So let's do Leia. Okay. So Leia, I meant to write a little bit more about it. I just didn't get to it. So tell me what you think about Leia. Um, not, I mean, it goes back. I just don't think much. She didn't have 
too prominent of a role. Uh, she's obviously like she sets things in motion, but mm-hmm. then she's just kind of there afterwards, right? Yeah, she really is. Um, do you feel like? Do you feel like she is portrayed as a female character differently than anything? Back in the 70s? Because I, I don't necessarily know that answer either. No, you know what? It's actually pretty incredible if you break it down like that. I don't think that she's portrayed as like a weak character at all. Yeah, like which might be contrastically different than other things. Yeah, that's actually back. really impressive. Because I'm thinking like we talk a lot about strong female characters now coming from Joss Whedon to an extent, a pretty good extent from J.J. Abrams and other writers. But back then, I I can guarantee that there's not a lot of strong female characters. No. There's definitely more than there were in the 50s. It's almost but. like they didn't even put thought into it. They just wrote a character that happened to be female. Yeah, because it's not like in your face that she's a princess. Mm-mm. Not at all. And it's not in your face that she's strong either. Do you think... So the whole thing that she sets in motion of recording the message, giving it to R2... Uh, do you think they do a good job at explaining what is going on at the Absolutely beginning of the movie? Not. They and don't even do an, a good job doing that at the end of the movie that's right. supposed to set this up. It's real tough. And they had 30 years to write that movie. <laughs> I, had to, I had to really, like, sit back and piece things together at the end of this. It is weird, isn't it? This is a huge talking point that we won't get a ton into, but George Lucas isn't a good writer, and he's not a good director. <laughs> he just got really lucky. And someone can argue that all they want, but he's not a good director. He has been known. To, he's been known for giving direction to actors like. Uh, there's one classic one. It's like louder and with more feeling, or something like that. He doesn't know how to direct people the way that a director does. Interesting. He's just put them in motion. That's why I feel like there's a lot of what can be read as shallow characters in this ep- in this episode of Star Wars. Yeah, because l- that's interesting to hear. I always I just take it back to there being too many characters for the screen times because it's not that long of a movie. Yeah, it really isn't. Um, but yeah, maybe that has something to do with it. I think it could be. I think they did really well. I mean, as a bunch of unknown actors, they did a really good yeah. job fighting that. And they'll, I think they'll all say that. It's almost like vignettes of each person where it's like, yeah. this, like we're going to chop up a vignette over the course of this hour and a half. How long is it? Do you know? Do you it's know an, hour and half, it's yeah. an hour and a half. I think you're right there because the main characters don't meet. They meet in stages along the, yeah. along the movie, but the entire plot doesn't come together until the last, what, 20, 15 minutes on the Death Star? And that's where you see the Obi-Wan-Darth Vader conflict. Yeah. Everyone's there for the first time. I mean, that's the first time that Luke and Leia meet. That's crazy. Yeah, I've never really thought about it that way. There's it's so much. It feels like a setup for a trilogy. Yeah, and I think he knew he wanted to do that. I think he... Got lucky with the first one, though, and gave it to some really good directors for Mm. the next one. I'm shitting on this movie too much, but... I know, it's like your favorite movie. It is, but it's not my favorite part of my favorite movie, is the first one. I put The Empire down as a character, because it's not just Darth Vader, and it's not just... We don't even see the Emperor in this one, do we? I don't even know what that means, so I guess not. Yeah, so we don't even see the, the big wig of the galaxy... In this one, we have uh, basically a general in Grand Moff Tarkin, uh, who's the like kind of skinnier, taller face guy. Yes. If you follow that, um, you've got some basically just employees as your first experience in the Empire on the yeah. Death Star, where Darth Vader is questioning them and choking that one guy. Uh, so maybe that's part of the problem for me is that there's really only one, like the. The Empire is really just one dude for me, for the most part. Like, it's just Darth Vader. And then these, like, stormtroopers. Right. <laughs> Who are just these faceless guns that can't shoot. Yeah. And I don't know if there was something that changed because they make reference to the, em- the Emperor in this one, I believe. But you're kind of led to believe that Darth Vader is kind of the big wig of the galaxy. And the more and more you see more movies, the Sith, which is Darth Vader's, like, faction are always kind of second fiddle to their their galactic overlord. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting to think. Like, our big bad is kind of a middle management bad. But they don't, yeah, they don't necessarily show that. Even if they do allude to a higher being, mm-hmm. 
there's probably honestly if they did i was trying to piece it together too much to even notice it yeah and i honestly can't remember if they do or not here's my thought what did they represent in 1977 that's what i was trying to draw parallels to are they is this a carryover of a nazi story because i would say that the successor to the empire in the newer movie called the first order they and you can see this in the trailer they are per, they are portrayed kind of like the nazis it's an easy parallel to draw right but it's 1977 are we really scared of nazis anymore that's 30 years ago well you can't you can't make a parallel to a nazi when we're still scared of nazis that's yeah. like that's yeah and that's i just bad mojo yeah are they i mean we're 1977 this is the cold war are we seeing them as the Russians or what I think is that they are a little bit of a combination of both. I think we're talking about cultural violence. But then I wonder, okay, first off, I'm not, I don't, history is not my strong point, mm-hmm. just like movies. Uh, <laughs> so movie history and mm-hmm. history in general, really the past is just off my radar, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Strange. Everything stops in 1988. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you're born, everything starts. Yeah. <laughs> everything starts. Yeah. <laughs> like this is great. <laughs> everything that's here. Everything's great guys. <laughs> I've been around for like three months going, like, why am I not great? Matt's great. That's great already. <laughs> um, but I don't know what it is representing. And then I wonder, are they smart enough to make this entire fictitious universe and plots and groups of people like the Empire without drawing a direct parallel to anything? I don't think so. (laughs) I don't give that much credit to a lot of the writing that happens in this first one because there are holes. Is there an answer answer to this? Is there an answer to this question of is, is there something that the empire is supposed to be? I don't think so. They talk about the Jedi's being pulled from Buddhist monks and a couple other like ideas, but not so much. Okay. The idea that I had so the Death Star can blow up an entire planet with one with one press of a button. Right. They, they get Leia's home planet of Alderaan. And the U.S. is also probably kind of thinking of that at the same point, that the Cold War could end with complete destruction. Why do people want that? Why do they want to live that in a theater if that's reality? Interesting. Huh. Huh. But if it makes sense, like if, if – like I get it. I get what you're saying and I get the parallel – it just isn't – if I were poor and, like, on the street, I don't want to go watch a movie about being poor and on the street. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I wouldn't want the biggest negative or biggest scare in my of my reality to be what I'm watching in my, in my fiction, too. Yeah. That is interesting. I don't have a way to combat that either. So yeah. maybe it's veiled enough that people don't actually draw the conclusion properly. Maybe. Or maybe it just wasn't a thing. Like <laughs> or maybe, maybe we're making maybe it I'm, up. Yeah, reading way too far into this. Maybe, but then to, you go back to giving the writers a lot of credit and being able to create this entire story. It's got to be one of them. It's one of the two. It's one of the two. So the, or it's a coincidence. There's a third option. <laughs> it's either related, not related, or coincidence. <laughs> the only options. <laughs> uh, what about Han? Yeah, so... Uh, hold on. Before I dive into this, let's talk about Han, but recap the Han shot first. Oh, because this isn't something that you've been privy to. I know that I knew the scene. I uh-huh. knew what they were talking about. But honest to God, Mac, I don't know if the the cut that I watched was correct and was the original version uh-huh. of him shooting first or it's him not. It's so fast. It's really fast. It's so fast. And I think if you never brought it up to a normal viewer, they wouldn't think anything of him shooting first or not. So wait, in the original cut, he shot first. In the original cut, he's talking to Greedo at that table, yep. and as the conversation starts to escalate, Han shoots him. So the reason that they cut it is because they didn't want him to look like they wanted him to look better, be portrayed in a, so. in a brighter light than he actually is originally. Right, and See, all the, the purists latch on, and they wear T-shirts that say Han shot first because they're playing to his like scoundrel rogue. And it makes wants. sense. Like the original cut, he. Is just like a, he's a he's a jerk. Yeah, yeah. He's not a nice dude. There's he's only, not. He has one moment of empathy that turns him around for everyone. Where he comes back and he's like, "I'm gonna go with Luke and I'll help." Yeah. But besides that, like the entire first half, all he cares about is money and Leia. I guess. Yeah. If you watch just this as a capsule movie, there's no reason to love Han. 
there really isn't. No, it's almost the opposite. <laughs> yeah. He's like a jerk to Luke. He thinks the forest is a hokey religion. He puts down everyone around him. He wheels and deals and lies and steals. Mm-hmm. And I would wager that it, after this movie came out, there wasn't this following about Han that there is now. So over the next two movies or whatever, mm-hmm. do they change that? His character doesn't change a lot, but it softens. Okay. Uh, I won't spoil it for you, but it softens. Okay. I guess I, I guess I understand why you would change it if it softens. Like if you try to get more consistent with who the character became instead of who it is, you know how mm-hmm. like sometimes, uh, you know, like Ron Swanson on Parks and Rec. Did mm-hmm. you watch Parks and Rec? Not really. No. Uh, well, like Ron Swanson, his character was bred through like who he is as an individual. Mm-hmm. So like he was somebody, and then his actual literal personality inflicted on the character so much that they, they changed the writing of the character. His development through the first three movies and then in episode seven reflects the period of his life that he's in. Mm. Because in in Star Wars, in A New Hope, I want to say he's about the age that, that Harrison Ford is. Like he's in his probably late 20s, early yeah. 30s. He still looks really young. He kind of acts like it. Totally. The next two movies span a, a few years. The, it's tighter than the actual years that they were released, but it's still a couple years. And you see him start to get more affection towards other people. He softens up a little bit and just opens up slightly. And then if you fast forward the 30-year difference between episode six and episode seven, he is definitely an older man that cares a little bit more about what a dad would care about. Is this his first major role? To my knowledge, it's his first big role. Wow. He did a good job. He did. And I think as a whole, most of them did. Yeah, totally. Luke is whiny, but that's probably all they got from him. They probably, maybe they wanted that. Yeah. Again, I think it kind of does relate to children. Yeah, totally. What about Chewie? Uh, You know, it's almost like R2. It's even less relevant. Yeah. (laughs) Where it just, uh, he's there. Um... We'll stop. That's it. He's there. Yeah. He exists as a, as a being, I guess it as adds some, some personality to Han that you wouldn't have without him. Um, do they, they don't explain in the first one why no. they're together. Do <laughs> no, they? Just a giant. Okay. Uh, Sasquatch dog or whatever. Yeah. He actually is. That's really interesting because that character also develops a lot during the course of the next few That's movies. So strange. Yeah. Like my brain can't comprehend how that happens. You know, it's funny, we've we've went through a lot of the main characters and the ones that there are action figures of, we've decided that they weren't important in this one, which is kind of funny. Mm, I you, mean, they're all kind of not important. That's a good point. <laughs> but, like, Luke is really... I don't want to say this without thinking about it, but I think Luke is pretty unimportant in this one. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, but the last... I mean, every... Hmm, it's not fair to say. It's hard because it could be anybody. It just happens to be Luke. Right. Like it's not Luke that does it. It is, but it's just like it's whoever fits in that role. Like there's nothing yeah. that Luke does that separates him from anybody else. Right. I guess he's a good shot. And again, if this is a standalone movie and you've never seen anything else. Then I'm not wearing a Luke costume at Halloween. No. That's it. There, yeah. No. There isn't a way because they don't tell a compelling story and you don't even realize really that Star Wars is about the Skywalkers. Right. I want to reiterate that I didn't dislike the movie, <laughs> but there's not enough development anywhere for me to side with anyone where I can be like, Oh, I feel like a Han or, Oh, I feel like a Leia or I feel like a Vader. There's you just exposed the fundamental flaw in the first movie and no one in our age bracket would ever take this as a capsule as a standalone mm-hmm. movie because there isn't a reason to, to like anybody over anybody. It's so sad. Yeah. And I'm sitting here, I'm wearing a, a shirt with Chewie on the back and I can't tell you why you should like him in this first movie. There's not a reason. Cute puppy. That's it's not bad. No, again, I think they just do a better job of of developing it in the future. And if you know that you're going to do three movies, maybe this is what it is. If you know you're going to do three movies and you have an overall story arc, then yeah, maybe you don't have to right away. You need maybe it's the setup because it is a setup. Yeah, I was going to like try to make a parallel to like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or something, but those all had source material. Yeah, they do really to go <laughs> off of. So Harry Potter it, does a really good job of taking a full story in one. Yeah. In one go, too. Yeah, you can watch the standalone. Uh, so let's do some quick hits about the rest of the movie. Yes. 
the music in this, so the soundtrack composed by John Williams, I wrote literally could be the most important thing in this movie. I was talking to my wife the other day, and we were trying to figure out what is the most recognizable piece of audio mm-hmm. of all time. Like, just what is it? Mm-hmm. And I was like, maybe it's that. It could be that. Because even people that haven't seen the movie, like, obviously I know the yeah. theme or the, the main theme mm-hmm. uh, without having seen the movie. Um, it wasn't that. It's uh, it's a small world. <laughs> but the music, it's just crazy. When I was watching it earlier today, I was watching it at the corner of my eye where we were working. So most of the things that I was hearing were the audio cues. Yeah. And it's really important to watch it with music. Like, I don't know how you would watch it without it, but if you do, nothing speaks to you. Yeah, it would not be. The music invokes a lot of stuff, Totally. Right? Yeah. Maybe all, maybe everything is invoked <laughs> with the music. Yeah. Because when we talk about how you feel after you watch Star Wars, which we'll get to in a second, I don't think I feel anything if it's not for that soundtrack or if it's a worse soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I was about to make like a, Oh, look at this person, but I don't know enough about music to feel like movie soundtracks. Like an ex. I only know uh, like three people, yeah, and they've all composed for Star Wars. It's wildly good. It's uh, it's exceptional. Mm-hmm. It's From way, the moment it hits. It's way better than the rest of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Near, I feel like it's so important. I'm an audio guy, so I really yeah. care about it. It's so important. Um, yeah, everyone knows that if the podcast sounds bad... Well, it's going to, so <laughs> uh it's just it's just wild. You're right. You're, like all almost all the emotion that's delivered is through the soundtrack. Any like feeling of um like puffing my chest out and and being a hero or or feeling weird in the in the bar campaign mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. It's all music. By the way, the cantina was an interesting locale for me because it's one of the only things in this movie besides references to things that have already happened that shows you a scale that we're taking part of. We're taking part of a large galaxy. That's true. Yeah. A lot of these aliens and there's music and there's all this stuff. All practical, all practical. Yes. All practical at this point. Yeah. I mean, all the ships are scale models on, on backdrops and they did an incredible job and that might be the saving grace of this movie when you watch it in 1977 and had these, Maybe people were talking about the same problems we are right now. Yeah. But they said that music was really cool and that spaceship was dope. Which is true. Yeah. Still, that stands, totally stands true. Yeah. It's a dope spaceship. It's a dope spaceship. Although nobody else seems to think so. The Star Destroyer or the Death Star? Oh, I was talking about Millennium Falcon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone else is like, isn't that, don't they say like it's a hunk of junk? Oh, yeah. In the plot, it's a hunk of junk. Ridiculous. Yeah. They don't know what they're talking about exactly. in that plot. And I wrote the the Falcon down as a character. Oh, interesting. Doesn't play a huge part here, but it does. the The Falcon is a character. It's referred to as a person a lot of times. It's also, isn't it why Han is involved? Because he wants money. Doesn't he's he say a he's gonna, smuggler? Yeah, he said he's going to take the ship away. Right. They. I think Jabba wants to take the ship if yeah. he doesn't meet the the whatever he wanted to smuggle or whatever. Mother. It's just Han wheeling and dealing and being a and being a jerk, being terrible at his job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not following through or meeting deadlines. He is not great. Uh, but yeah, it's a great. It's interesting. Again, it's it really interesting looking back, knowing what the Millennium Falcon is now mm-hmm. versus what it was then. It's a. Uh, it's very eye opening. Mm-hmm. Like I know that some really cool stuff must must happen in the next movies. I'm excited to watch because it. you know how we all talk about. Yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That makes sense. The props, the props were good. I think for the time, the lightsaber looks pretty good in 1977. The the ships and the planets and all that, I think, looked pretty good. Yeah, there wasn't ever a time, because they used practical effects, I think it's a lot like how Jurassic Park worked, like, because most things were practical, not everything in Star Wars, it doesn't age that poorly. Only time that it ages poorly is not in the way that it looks, but in the pace in which things happen. Right. And it is um, a slower movie. It has to be. Like yeah. if you're doing everything with a literal camera instead of green screen or CG right. or whatever. And that was the downfall of later Star Wars movies. Which is sad. You would you would want technology to help, but it it's just killing us. Yep. So let's talk about how we felt after we after we saw this. And that's hard for me because it's been a long time. But to me, Star Wars means adventure. It means ideals heroism 
a little bit of like comedy. It, part of just kind of the way that I read that, I think, is how I live my life. Like I try to be good but funny. Yeah, you do a good job. Thank you. Yeah, and the story grows so much more that it's hard to have a lot of feelings after this. But I feel like a little bit of of it is appealing to children. The the Luke thing. You're, I think younger audiences are going to identify with him. The music is going to tell you how to feel. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of things like the trash compactor scene in the Death Star, I noticed earlier being kind of a monster under the bed scenario, which would identify to a lot of a lot of kids watching this movie. Sure. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. It is kind of a terrifying scene. Yeah. Yeah. The walls closing in on you and the like thing under the junk. It, oh man, and it pulls. Oh yeah, that was yeah, a good scene. It is a good scene. How did we not talk about that for the last hour? I don't know. It's a good one. And R2 saves the day again. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, he's a brilliant little beep boop robot. A little nugget. Uh, okay, so feelings. Uh, I feel like you are taking a very idealistic view of the movie and you're taking everything that you know about the, the saga in yeah, the world. And it's you're impossible it for me into, to isolate this as a movie. It's really, it really hard. Um, I think I walked away. I think I was probably like, yeah, that was good. <laughs> and that was like, that was the end this of it. I was like, movie. yeah, that's a good movie. I'd you didn't walk in. Your life wasn't changed. No. Your views weren't altered. Mm-hmm. I think so that's like, fair. I feel I totally see if it were, you know, it's hard because I know people that like grew up with it. Like mm-hmm. there's some people I used to work with that are really big Star Wars people. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy to me after that one movie to be like, your life is this. Like this is, yeah. this is, and you're kind of like this too. Where I'm like, this is part of your identity right. of like who you are as a human. And it's like, it's a, it's a good movie, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. It, although, you know what? I'm pretty cynical as a person. I don't think there's any piece of media that I could latch onto to a point where I'd be like, oh, this is who it's I like am. It's like a major part of your personality. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, say that I, think we a, all, I think we all have a, a combination mm-hmm. of of what makes our personality, of what the things that we've consumed. You happened to meet me like a couple months before Star Wars came out. So yeah. it's been. You haven't stopped talking about it. I haven't stopped talking about it. You and I almost problem. didn't stop seeing it in theaters, but I had to stop. You ran I, out of money. <laughs> I ran out of money. Um, but. Yeah, it would be like saying like Top Gun is a huge part of your personality. Yeah, is it a cool movie? Yeah, but it doesn't bring a lot to the table without the rest of the mm-hmm. trilogy of the original trilogy. The when we get to the prequels, if we ever get, to, we will, we will, we because Matt will have seen them. There'll be special episodes. Yeah, uh, those are crap. <laughs> the original trilogy speaks to humanity significantly more because humanity wasn't made on a green screen. Wow. That was deep. Boom. I feel like we should just, should I just cut it there? <laughs> no, we have to talk a little bit more. So a little quick capsule. What did this do to the movie industry? Because if this, if star Wars is foundational, then what did it, what built upon it? Well, if somewhere, if someone were to ask me, what was the first major blockbuster movie? Mm-hmm. This is probably what I would say. That's a, that's solid. I don't know if there's any validity to saying that, but like in my brain, I can't think of a bigger movie. I, I'm going to reiterate that. I cannot think of a bigger movie than star Wars. Yeah. When it came out, uh, sound of music, the sound of music. When did that come out? I've only got 69 through 89. Listed uh, here, but I think it might be before that. Uh, I mean, yeah, the big Wizard movies, Wizard of Oz is the 40s, I think. That was shit's that, old. Was that big in theaters, though? I don't know how big that hits or if it's just like one of those things that caught on. No, that's such a different time. Yeah. That, I mean, people are going to Broadway theaters to see movies. And there's also a huge difference in blockbuster Star mm-hmm. Wars type movies and Sound of Music. Right. Yeah, there's some Star Wars will always be a summer movie, no matter when it's released, but it's mm-hmm. that type of movie. It came out in May. Yeah, it came out in May. Uh, the newer ones are coming out in the fall, but that... Fall is now a big budget movie time for Christmas and whatnot. And it is weird. Like in that time frame, you see Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is kind of the same, same director, of course. Yeah. Uh, Kramer versus Kramer. That's I off my radar. I'll completely off my radar. Grease was the number one movie the year after Star Wars came out, which if there is a bigger contrasting movie, yeah. that's it. That's interesting. Um, which maybe plays to the 
theory of it being like targeted towards kids and because Greece is not targeted towards kids, no, obviously at all. It had John Travolta in it though. So I think that probably sells it a bunch. And before that, we talked Rocky Jaws, Blazing Saddles, Exorcist, Godfather. There's some big movies in there, but they're not what you would call like a blockbuster to right. our standards. So that is pretty interesting. Uh, the What I had written down about what came out after. So we saw Star Trek, the motion picture released two years after Star Wars. Was it just grasping on the success? I don't know. Hmm. It's hard to say because I always felt like Star Trek easily could have never been anything more than that original movie. So sad. Or that original TV show because that was just kind of how it seemed like it was going to happen. And then they made Next Generation in 1987 that is, I wrote, thematically more grown up than the original, which is partially sometimes how I feel about Star Wars. Sometimes I feel like it's thematically a little bit more grown up. Here's an interesting one, too. Superman comes out the year after the the first big Superman movie with Christopher Reeves. Okay. Oh. Part of me wonders what that movie does. Did Star Wars pave a way for the superhero movie? Is it just a matter of the times and everyone was ready for? Can a it happen like that, that closely? Like, because it takes more than a year to make a movie. Yeah, that's why I think the the two years of Star Trek could yeah, that maybe makes, be more connected. That definitely makes more sense. What about Raiders of the Lost Ark? You saw Raiders come out a year after the second Star Wars movie. But that movie I don't think makes... Well, I wonder if you're mainly going off of the success of the actor. Yeah. Where people love Han, and so they, they transpose his role... Into indie, and it's still the same which scoundrel. Makes, yeah, the, which all makes that words. popular. Yeah, all the things you used to describe him. Oh, yeah, Indiana Jones tells the story of a man, not a galaxy. And the more you watch Star Wars, the realize you, you realize more is the, the galaxy. It's a very different approach. And I have seen... Rather recently, all three Indiana Jones. Same. Movies. I didn't see them until a couple years ago. I saw them within the last five years. Yeah, definitely. me too. They were good. They are good. Also, Crystal Skulls. Everyone needs to stop being so mean. It's really not that bad. Really, it's not great, but it's not that bad. I think I watched it. I think the reason I watched the other ones was to lead up to going to see Crystal Skull. Oh, really? And that, that was, was a long probably time a bad ago, choice. Then. That was a long time ago. Then. Um, yeah. Like I, I again, I think if you're not looking through those glasses. Through the nostalgia glasses, it's not as bad as everyone makes it out to be. Yeah. That's okay. kind of why I want to watch episode one. Here's my Cliff Notes episode one. Is it all in all pretty bad? Yeah. Pod racing doesn't pod, do it? The pod racing doesn't do it because Star Wars doesn't need that. But that N64 game was dope. Yeah, but it could have been something <laughs> else. Uh, I watched episode one shortly before watching the newest star Wars. And I was, I love, I left it feeling not as bad about it at the immediate time of watching. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about it more. And this had been the first time I'd seen it in a while because who chooses to watch episode one on a Saturday afternoon or whatever you, me, (laughs) um, doesn't, doesn't do it. No, there's a, the, one of the coolest lightsaber battles is the end of episode one. Everything that leads up to that doesn't really make sense. That's sad. All right. One sentence. Where did Star Wars... You already did that. Where did Star Wars leave you? Um, it was a good movie. I wouldn't base my entire identity around it. Mm-hmm. I get that. I saw it, uh, like I said, a long time ago, but not at the age that I probably should have. Mm-hmm. Every time I watch it, I get a little bit more out of it because I'm starting to see more adult themes or reading it in a different way as I grow up. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll watch it again at some time. Yeah. It'll be, I'll, I'm excited to watch the other ones to see how everything pieces together. I'm more excited for you to watch that. And the first, and a new whole, make me, they might be a more complete picture after watching the other ones. Yeah. Or at least you'll have an attachment more, I think, to the next sure. two and it'll, it'll shine a better light on yeah. a new hope. Like, oh, Luke is just a baby here. That's yeah. why he's like this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's Star Wars. That's Star Wars episode four, a new hope. Wow. We really, uh, we really just jumped in headfirst with a huge movie. We did. I can't. I really want the next episode, which we'll tease in a second, to be more about both of us. Yeah, because it, it, you put Star Wars into a different perspective for me, but it also it will be fun experiencing something. Yeah, together. we'll experience it together. Uh, so Mac, yes, yeah. let's, let's talk about next week. What are we gonna watch? 
Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. So this is huge, huge movie. Never saw it. Never saw it. I, again, I'm, it's kind of the same thing where like I totally know what it's about. Mm-hmm. I know, like I know the first half hour of that movie because it's super famous. Yeah, or it's been parodied. Uh, or it's been parodied. There's a freaking Family Guy episode about it or something. South Park too. Yeah. Yeah. But I've never seen it. I've never seen it. And people bring it up sometimes, and they're like, "Oh, so and so is in that." And I'm like, "Wait, what?" Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of supporting cast members in that that look. I mean, now back on it, they're huge. Mm-hmm. It's so exciting. S- Saving Private Ryan will be next week. Watch it along with us if you want. If totally. you've never seen it, this is a perfect time. Probably a good time because you now have two new friends that have wa- just watched it with you. Best friends. Best friends forever. <laughs> so yeah, that's exciting. I'm really excited to to dive in and watch it. Um, I am too. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Cool. Do you have any last words for the viewers for this week? No. Thanks for listening to our first episode. We're excited to uh, to do it. It's not just going to be movies. We're going to do music and we're going to do um, video games. Video we're going games. to do video games. We're huge nerds. Do a little bit harder. TV shows, things like that. So keep checking in and we'll look back at some of our favorites or some of your favorites with uh, with fresh eyes. That sounds great. Boom. Thanks, Matt. That does it for this week of Retro Foundation for my co-host. Matt Vallette. My name is Mackenzie Collins. We'll see you next week. Bye. Retro Foundation would like to thank Adam Ramonda for composing our theme. Check out his work at adamramonda.com. That's A-D-A-M-R-A-Y-M-O-N-D-A.com. And also check out more from Retro Foundation at www.retro.foundation. Yeah. That's it.